Now, can we turn our Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 33? So that's Exodus chapter 33. I'll be reading from verse 12. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not, been, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can, may see my face and see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me, near me, near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Well, let's pray as we turn to God's word. You are good, O Lord, and help us this morning as we look at your word to taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, on these Sunday mornings, we are thinking about being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus was the ultimate spiritual man. And so we as his followers, we want to be spiritual people. And so we've been asking the question, what is a spiritual person? And we said the greatest portrait of a spiritual person is given to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It's in your Bibles. It's also on the screen there. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are nine characteristic traits of a spiritual person. Together they make up a spiritually beautiful person. Whoever has these is a spiritual stunner and a head-turner. So far, we've looked at the first uh, group of the fruit of the Spirit, love. And we've seen Jesus as the most loving person ever. Then we considered joy. And we saw Jesus as the most joyful person ever. And then peace, and we saw Jesus as the most peaceful person ever. Forbearance, Jesus is the most forbearing person ever. And then last week, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, and we saw Jesus as the kindest person who has ever lived. And it's as we focus on Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit produces this fruit within us. They are all the effect of the Holy Spirit working on our spirit, our inner being. The fruit of the Spirit is not due to Christian achievement or to human accomplishment. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God working in us as we fix our eyes on Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit we're looking at this morning is goodness, goodness. We use the word good to describe all kinds of different things. And we use it in all kinds of different ways. Someone might say, well, what was the match like? And you'll say, well, it was good, meaning it wasn't bad. Someone might ask you, what was the film like? And you'll say, it was all right, meaning it was neither good nor bad. Or you're reading a book and someone asks you, what's the book like? You say, it's very good which means it's better than good. How are you feeling? Not bad, which means not good. It's all very confusing. How do we use this word good? A person does something to you that's, that's a really helpful deed, and you say, thank you, that was good of you. And various people in their professions we might want to describe as, as good. Something goes wrong in the house and you ask, do you know a plumber? Do you know a good plumber? Or, or you might say, I'm never going back to that, that dentist again. They're not good at all. Or maybe it's used as a term of appreciation. I'll be over on Saturday. Great. That'll be good. How does the Bible use this term good? Well, it uses it in different ways. But the most popular way that it's used is this. It's used good to describe something just as it should be. So maybe you're looking for an apple in the fruit bowl and you pick one up and it's been there quite a while and it's gone moldy 
and you think, that's not good, that's bad, you put it back. You search for another one, and you pick it up, and it's good. Why? Because it's everything it should be. And that's how we're going to use the word good. Good is when something is all that it should be. Nothing is missing. It's complete. It's ideal. Now, the scriptures declare that God is good. He is everything that he should be. If you were to try and sit down and invent a God, then you couldn't make one up as good as our God, because our God is everything you want him to be. One person wrote, God is in every way all that he as God should be. He cannot get any better. God is good. Now, when we make that statement that God is good, it immediately makes a question arise. If God is good, then how come there's so much evil and suffering in the world? And though I don't want to focus on the evil and the suffering, yet you can't ignore it because it's a real, genuine question that some people have. Some people throw it out just to distract you like a, a flare to get you off the subject. But lots of people do have this big question, if God is good, then why is there so much evil and suffering? And there is, isn't there? The terrible floods that we've read about in the news, the powerful earthquake, the war, the violence, the cancer, the illness, death. This is evil. This is suffering. And Christians are not immune to that. We groan in our sufferings and we are caught up in the disasters and in the tragedies of life as well. So there's a great mystery to this whole area of evil and suffering. And so with mystery, there is a point you cannot go beyond. There's a mystery. But there's certain things that we can say about a mystery. And we can say certain things about the mystery of suffering when we consider the goodness of God. We can say, first of all, that evil and suffering is not the way that God made the world. Uh, tonight, Dan will be speaking on Genesis chapter 1. And at the end of that chapter, or throughout that chapter, God saw that each day was good. And by the end, by the time you get to the first few verses of chapter 2, it says God looked upon the creation that he had made, and he said it was very good. So God didn't create this world as a world of suffering, evil, badness, despair. God created the world good because he's a good God. But when humanity rebelled against the good God, sin entered the world, and with sin, suffering and death. But because God is a good God, he's not going to leave the world in suffering and death. He's going to do something about it. And he has done something about it. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ. And he has sent Jesus in order to reverse or to begin to reverse the suffering and the disaster and the evil on planet Earth. And you see that with every one of Jesus' miracles. His miracles were performed upon people who were suffering in some way or other. Jesus performs a miracle, and the suffering is reversed. He's showing what the world should be like and what one day the world will be like. 
but for the Lord Jesus Christ to reverse the suffering he himself had to suffer. He had to take it on himself in order to take it away. That's begun. Somebody has given an illustration of a huge wheel, a wheel of suffering that goes through history and crushes people with all the evil and the suffering. And no one can stop this wheel going round in history, crushing humanity. But God sent his son, Jesus, who, who in his crucifixion threw himself upon that wheel. And the wheel kept turning and crushed him to death. And then in his resurrection, he turned it back, turned it back. And that's what's happening so that there will come a day, there is a day that all creation's waiting for when evil will be thrown into the bottomless pit, unable to escape, and a new world will be created where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there is no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things, the order of suffering, has passed away. But until then, we have to live with the mystery of suffering. But God is not immune to it. His son suffered it to take it away one day. Well, that's what we can say about the mystery of suffering. doesn't answer all the questions at all. But there's an approach to it. It shows we don't ignore it when we speak about the goodness of God. You see, despite all this suffering, the Bible never, ever denies that God is good. And it doesn't let the suffering and the evil detract from the goodness of God. God is good. And God is good in three ways. God is good, first of all, in the fact that he is all that he should be, as we mentioned at the start. God is everything God should be. The scriptures declare it. There's a, a host of verses in the Psalms that say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And it goes on uh, repetitive in the Psalms. God is good. Give thanks to him. His love endures forever. And then Psalm 34 verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is absolute perfection. Perfect bliss. You can add nothing to him to make him better. He is everything that he should be. And he is everything that you want him to be. Stephen Charnock said this. This is the true and genuine character of God. He is good. He is goodness. Good in himself. Good in his essence. Good in the highest degree, possessing Whatsoever is comely, excellent, desirable, he's the highest good. All the names of God are comprehended in this one of good. God is good. And if you should look at the different attributes or characteristics of God, so many of them come under this umbrella title, good. God is good. That's the first way God is good. It's everything you want him to be. The second way that God is good is that it's seen in his character. His character is good. When uh, Natasha read to us that chapter of scripture from the book of Exodus, it's, uh, it was a wonderful event. 
And Moses was leading the people out of the promised land. They'd come out of the promised land. They'd got to Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, because the Israelites had rebelled, God was being, in order to be just, God was saying, I will no longer go with them. Moses then goes up Mount Sinai and he pleads with God, go with us. If you don't go with us, don't send me. Go with us. And then Moses asks this incredible question. He says to God in Exodus 33, now show me your glory. What a thing to ask of God. Now show me your glory. And this is what God said. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. For that's his glory, his goodness. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And in the next chapter, which is why Natasha went on to read Exodus 34, God comes down on that mountaintop, Sinai, presents himself to Moses in a particularly mysterious way, and then in Exodus 34, God passes in front of Moses, showing his glory and his goodness in the revelation of his divine name. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. This is God. This is his character. His glory is his goodness. His goodness is his glory. So God is good. He's everything that he should be. God is good. His character is good. Thirdly, God is good in the fact that in kindness, he pours out his goodness on us. Psalm 119, you are good, O God, and what you do is good. And there are many ways that God shows his goodness. God is good in the fact that he brings judgment. Now, in our mind, we might, we might think that that's a difficult concept of good. But because God is good, there is justice. See, if you go to a, I know not many of you will, but if you go to a football match, <laughs> then, and, the, and the ref, the referee, he, he doesn't give the obvious fouls, then you're going to say, he's a bad ref. But if he gives the fouls and plays the game in justice, then you'll say, that was a good ref today. Why? Because he punished the ones that should be punished. God is good in the fact that he punishes evil. God is good in the fact that he loves us. God shows his grace to us because he's good. God forbears with us because he's good. He is good and he does good. James 1 verse 17, he gives every good and perfect gift. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said, your heavenly father will give good things to those who ask him. So God is good. Everything he should be. Good in his character and good in his kindness to us. Now, if that is the way that God is good, 
then we are to expect the fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness, to be replicated in us in exactly the same way that God is good. Those three ways. So when the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, works in us, then we become what we should be. What should we be? We should be in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. We're made to be like God, to reflect God, to function as God does in every way. But we sinned and we moved away from the image of God so that the image of God within people is, is shattered, is cracked. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he begins this work of what we call sanctification, turning us back into the image of God. It starts when you become a Christian it progresses through your life of being a Christian until the end when you reach glory, it's perfected. So God is now at work in our life to will and to do according to his good purpose. For the work that he began in us, he will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He is making us everything we should be as a human being. That is what God is doing. He imparts his goodness to us. God's goodness is underived. He's good in himself. But we are good because God works in us. So the fruit of the Spirit is seen when we are becoming what we should be, like Jesus. Second, the goodness will be seen in our character, as it's seen in God's character. It's said of a man called Barnabas. He was a good man. The Apostle Paul writes to Christians in Rome and says, you are full of goodness. Goodness is something we desire. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says we desire goodness. Indeed, everybody seems to desire goodness. People want to be good. If you should be trying to witness to a non-Christian and you're telling them about Bible reading and prayer and coming along to church then sooner or later, they'll stop you and they'll say, well, I don't do all that, but I'm a good person. Because they want to be good. In the film, Saving Private Ryan, old James Ryan, towards the end of the film, the last scene of the film, actually, James Ryan goes to the grave of the man who saved him. And James Ryan turns to his wife and says, tell me I've led a good life. And his wife says, what? And he says, tell me I'm a good man. And the film kind of ends. He wants to be a good man. People want to be good people. But we can't be good people without the Holy Spirit working in us. Because we've got this sinful nature. that's only turned around by the Spirit of God. So when the Spirit works in us, we are becoming everything we should be. Our character then is being changed into a good character as well. And thirdly, goodness will be seen in what we do. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the third way that this goodness of the fruit of the Spirit is seen in us 
is that we are good to other people, just as God is good to us. John Wesley once wrote, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you ever can. Fruit of the Spirit is the same in us as goodness is in God. It's what we should be. It's our character and it's our kindness. So how does this fruit of the Spirit grow in us then? How do we become good people doing good things? Well, we've said it every week. It's as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we contemplate him, then we are transformed by the Spirit into his likeness. So, as we close, let's contemplate the goodness of our Savior Jesus. He was good. Acts 10 verse 38 on the screen says this. Simon Peter announced that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Jesus is good. Thomas Brooks wrote, Christ is the greatest good, the choicest good, the chiefest good, the most suitable good, the most necessary good. He is pure good, a real good, a total good, an eternal good, and a soul-satisfying good. He's good. Get it? Jesus is good. One of my favorite books ever, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Susan and her friends, they've got into Narnia, and they're discovering new things, and they meet some of the creatures of Narnia. And Susan meets one of the creatures, and this creature tells Susan about Aslan, who represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And the creature says to Susan, Aslan, Aslan is a lion, the, the lion, the great lion. Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And the creature says to Susan, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is good. He's the king. Not a bad king, not an evil, unjust king, but the king that is exalted on high in justice and righteousness and truth and mercy and grace. He's good. And in his goodness, he went to the cross. In his goodness, he did that. See, what's the greatest good that Jesus can do for us? When Jesus was on earth, we referred to his miracles. He reversed some of the evil and the suffering. How wonderful that was. But the ultimate and the greatest good that Jesus ever did was to go to the cross to take away our sin that we might have our sins forgiven and live forever. And only Jesus could have done that. And he did it. Because he's good and wanted to be good to us. But in order to take away our sin, he had to shed his blood and die in our place. And Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 14. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. In his goodness, he lays down his life for us. Like the children's hymn says, he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. So on the cross, Jesus, the ultimately good man, went through the baddest, if there's such a word, he went through the baddest, the most evil, the most wicked injustice ever, in shame and pain on the crucifixion, in, in his goodness, Jesus went through that. And on the cross, the good man took all our sin, iniquity, and badness away from us and onto himself, so that on the cross, the world's greatest good man was counted as the world's greatest bad man as he took away our sins. Now you think about that. He was good, and everything he did was good. Good in who he was, good in his character, good in his actions. He went to the cross because he was good. He'd never done anything bad. But on the cross, he was counted as bad as sin. The greatest good man was counted as the greatest bad man to take away your badness and my badness and my sin. He did it because he was good. And if you doubt it, then I simply repeat the words that the Apostle Philip said to his friend called Nathaniel. When Nathaniel was saying to Philip, tell me about Jesus. And uh, Philip said, he comes from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. And that's what you need to do. Come and see how good Jesus is. And as soon as you submit to him, he produces this goodness within you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we've thought about what it is to be good, we thank you that we are immediately pointed to you and to your Son. And we thank you that our Savior, because of his goodness, took all our badness and took it all away to produce the fruit of goodness within us. Help us, we pray, to follow him and to show others your goodness through our good deeds that they might praise you, the good, good Father. Lord, in a world where there is evil and suffering and badness, we thank you that you are yet good. And this is your glory. And we pray that you would work the fruit of the Spirit in our life, that we would be good and show your glory through our character and actions. Help us to be what we should be in your image, we pray. And thank you that all our life you have been good to us, even when it didn't seem like it. Thank you, good, good Father. Amen.